0: Welcome to Dollar Theater. This is the podcast where we review movies that we love, some of which are critically acclaimed and some not so much. I think for the most part, we are covering a very critically acclaimed movie. We'll talk about it and decide. I'm very excited to be covering this one with two of my good friends here returning for the first time since we did Scrooged in December, Glenn Thompson, and you last heard her when we did Muppets Christmas Carol, Gail Maitland. What's going on, friends?
1: is good man I am glad to be back
0: especially uh, especially for this one all right
2: yeah I'm pretty excited thanks for thanks for bringing me in
0: of course all right so let's do it once upon a time in Hollywood 2019 this movie is basically a giant love letter to Hollywood and in 2019 I did have it as my number one film of the year coincidentally in this past year 2022 two of the films I had in my top four, were the Fablemans and Babylon, which are also two love letters to Hollywood. So like our star of this film, Leonardo DiCaprio, I clearly have a type. Please clap. That was. <laughs> it's not, it's not over 25 yet, Dave. So we can t- let t- you
2: have t- <laughs> <laughs> Get that right.
0: right out of the way. I, feel, I felt like my delivery on that, that was a planned joke for the listeners. I, I planned, I was like, this is going to be good. And I, I think I, I felt like the delivery was, was pretty solid. It's really all good. Right. We'll get you some sound effects, <laughs> a good can laugh. Wah, wah, All right, so you, t- you two have been on with me for previous Tarantino films we covered, Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards. And in all of his films that we covered, you usually get those big, violent action set pieces, whether it's like Jules and Byrne killing a room full of people, or Shoshana's giant face lighting a room full of Nazis on fire. And in this one, we certainly get that with the Manson Family Massacre at the end, which we're definitely going to talk about. But this movie is unique to me in that it's just basically a series of conversations throughout and dealing with your own mortality, the realization that all things are to come to an end. Ironically, this is Tarantino's ninth film out of 10 that he says he's allegedly making. I'm sure if he tried to wiggle his way out of that contract he made with nobody, nobody would object But in a way, he might be dealing with his own mortality as well. So this is one I saw three times in the theaters. I watched it twice this week to prep for this show. Two hours and 45 minutes. i am yet to get bored of this. And I probably like the two of you. I enjoy the sheer brutality Brad Pitt shows throughout this film. But just as much as that, I'm I just enthralled with DiCaprio's separate conversations that he has with Al Pacino and Julia Butters. There's really like no wasted scenes in this movie. Nothing I'd change. It's perfect for me. This is a 10 out of 10. I love it. Gail, why do you love this movie?
2: I think for me, this is, this is to me what I think La La Land was to a lot of people with regards to Hollywood and just the shininess of Hollywood. And then the grittiness of Hollywood, and I, I veer toward the grittiness of Hollywood, the the mortality of Hollywood, the aging, the um, the the violence. I I love this movie. I think that this is the movie that Tarantino was supposed to make. He uses all of these pieces from his other movies in this movie in a way that works where in some of the others, um, it always works. It's Tarantino. But I think that sometimes the violence can come across a little, a little heavy, um, a little cartoony, which he always likes. But here it's just this scene upon scene upon scene of just building, building, building to this huge climax that actually serves a purpose. And I, I love, this is my favorite Tarantino movie.
0: Glenn what works about this for you
1: um yeah I think Gail's you said something interesting you said you know it, it always works it's Tarantino and for me that phrase takes on a, a different meaning and just that like I and I'll get more into this later I'm sure but there are there are just movie makers throughout history where you're like I don't know who put something in your water but it's freaking phenomenal and every time you step up to the bat you somehow just do something crazy that works and he i think there's a reason film school kids watch him because you could see from the early parts where he was trying to figure it out up until now where he's making the big big movies and and just going like i did whatever the hell i wanted and it worked and everybody in this podcast and i think most of the folks listening and the folks in our movie group we love cinema we love talking about cinema we love shitting on each other about the cinema that we love or don't love and there's a reason for that because movies like this are made to go yeah movies are gritty and violent and messy and we love them for that and we love them anyway so like yes i think tarantino had to make this movie but it's 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 another movie that just goes i love movies and i'm going yep me too so
0: (laughs) excellent all right so we've covered brad pitt a lot on the show recently and our next episode after this is going to be Ocean's Eleven. Hmm. So he's obviously someone we've talked about a lot. He won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for this film. He's an actor we love. But I'm going to table our conversation about him. Let it just flow organically when we talk about the scenes. I believe this is the first time we've ever covered anything on this show with Leonardo DiCaprio. So I don't know. Gunn and I, you and I, were talking about Glenn. You and I were talking about this uh, offline before we started about like the first time we saw him. And I don't know how it is for both of you. But first time I was introduced to him was as Luke, the homeless kid from growing pains in 1991. And ever since then, it's that's been about a little over 30 years. He's just been a constant in our lives. And he's just, he's a movie star. He's never succumbed to the things. A lot of actors have come to. He's never had that limited series on Amazon. Like so many others have had, he should, he just makes event movies when he makes anything it's something you're paying attention to even something like don't look up which i didn't think was a very good movie but i was right there on netflix christmas day when it was released and his resume is kind of unmatched maybe brad pitt his co-star in this is one of a few people who can compare but he's just someone he's worked with the biggest directors james cameron spielberg scorsese obviously a couple tarantinos christopher nolan i'm sure there's people i've forgotten but he rules and he's like so great in this didn't win the Oscar was nominated for best actor, but, but did not win. Yeah. He's awesome in this as Rick Dalton. Gail, any thoughts on him in this movie or in general?
2: I mean, (laughs) When you get, there's, there's a lot to say about Leo. He was, he was, he was one of my first crushes along with JTT, but I'm dating myself, but (laughs) he was one of my first crushes as a kid. I loved him. Um, wish I could have stayed a kid so I could have snagged him, but, um, (laughs) I, I have such an appreciation for him because I feel like I've grown with him where a lot of child actors have gone off in different directions or had really unfortunate endings like Brad Renfro or um Jonathan Brandes like from my era um JTT who just kind of fell off um you have you have ones who've gone on to do sort of sort of kind of amazing like stuff like um Ethan Embry or Ethan Hawke um who who make different choices than Leo who's been scooped up by Scorsese for, you know, The Aviator, Wolf of Wall Street, or um, Tarantino with Django and and this. And he's just grown in a way that's really kind of inspiring to see a child actor grow into because he's not the homeless kid from Growing Pains anymore. He's not even the boy from Titanic anymore. He's, he's the fucking Wolf of Wall Street. Like, he's he's a man and, you know, Personal life aside, he's been really entertaining to watch through the years.
0: For sure. Glenn, any DiCaprio thoughts?
1: Uh, Yes, I think that is the key. He has been entertaining to watch through the years everywhere. I mean, even when we're making fun of his news headlines, you're talking about Leo DiCaprio with a a bit of a half smile and a smirk of you know, at the wow, I can't believe that happened. Um, He's what I'd call a chameleon. I don't know that i've ever seen him play what i thought was the same part twice um now he does obviously have his idiosyncrasies like everyone else he does certain things the same way but um he's really good at at getting lost in whatever role he's in and i don't think oh that's leo on screen i'm just enjoying whatever he's doing while it's happening um i think as for where i first saw him um probably Probably the Basketball Diaries, I would think, was my earliest recollection, but I can definitely say that, um, you know, the Romeo and Juliet or Titanic would have been right up there as well. It was kind of like the early him. Um, so I, I just have always been fascinated by his career because I think he doesn't make what he doesn't want to make. I think he's only making the movies he wants to make, which is why his lineup of films is half the size of anybody else's, you know, because he picks and chooses.
0: Margot Robbie. I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of us were introduced to her. And Gail, you mentioned Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. That was definitely the first time I saw her. And naturally, she catches your attention because she's a 12. And <laughs> so, yeah, you're just like, who the, who the hell is this? And frankly, she's so she's very attractive. So that gets your attention. That gets your foot in the door. But even in that movie, she goes toe to toe with DiCaprio in every scene. There's, there's really just, it's just like a ping pong match worthy of Forrest Gump. And the next time I saw her was in the it was a smaller film Focus, where she was, she was opposite Will Smith, you know, another big name with, I guess, some baggage attached to him as well. Um, but in every scene they're in together, they're just, they're tete-a-tete and just going at it. Fast, fast forward a couple of years later, 2017, she gets her first Oscar nomination for I, Tanya when she played Tanya Harding. And I just, I just remember it was just like, jaw-dropping performance i mean not the Mm. best movie but she was so good in it and she got another oscar nom a couple years later for bombshell which was just a a a movie that happened i just so weird like movies in in the trump era that that happened in tv shows and this this was one of them Uh, she was nominated for that as well Um, the tragedy that this past year she wasn't nominated for babylon we're sitting here six months away she's about to be she's about to be barbie in a greta gerwig film uh harley quinn in the dceu so she's just glenn i think you you talked about dicaprio as a chameleon this is a, another kind of jack of all trades and like her two co-stars one of one of the biggest stars in the world here and what she's asked to do here as this tragic figure in, in sharon tate is just is so delicate and i thought she crushed it that it did a great job she's kind of like the moral compass of this movie i think a little bit because she's basically in her own separate movie throughout throughout the whole thing. And she just kind of like the balance behind wow. DiCaprio and Pitt. And I just thought she did a really great job. I love every time she's on the screen, you're just drawn to her. And she did, like I said, excellent job. It's, you know, real life figure, tra- tragic. We're definitely going to talk about Sharon Tate as well. But I, I thought she did a really good job here. Gail, any thoughts on Margot Robbie?
2: I... Margot Robbie has kind of come out of nowhere right in the last few years I mean she was in Wolf of Wall Street in what 2013 or so maybe 10 years ago so in the last decade we've gotten some big big performances from Margot Robbie and this one I think compared to all her others I mean obviously like Harley Quinn or even her character in Wolf of Wall Street is much more muted but much more purposeful. And I've read so many reviews about her portrayal of Sharon Tate where the, it, it's a negative review where they say that she's vapid and um, Barbie-like, which is, a, which is fun because that was prior to her being cast as Barbie. But I don't see that at all. I see her playing a really complex woman who wants to be left alone, who is living life. And I think that's exactly how Tarantino wants to show us Sharon Tate as a woman who is living life. Who's bopping along to her, um, to her stereo, to her car stereo, to the music on her way in to see herself and appreciate herself in the movies. And I just love Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, and I think that she did her justice
0: for sure. Glenn, any Robbie thoughts?
1: Uh, well, you you said it, Dave. She's a she's a fourteen. I'm sorry, you said twelve. But she's a fourteen. She, is, yep.
0: she drives me crazy.
1: <laughs> I am in love with this woman, and I'm in love with her talent and her um, her chameleon like nature um she's 32 and she's playing with you know she's playing in these movies with guys who are stars who are almost twice her age or are twice her age where it's like you're killing it you you couldn't convince me that they've been doing this longer than you have because you're just amazing at it um and yeah i mean wolf of wall street that was like you said 2013 i mean to basically go from that to being one of the biggest stars in the world, like every movie she's done has just been, whether you loved it or didn't love it, a huge hit. Um, it, 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 it's got to be, it's got to be as much her as anybody else that's in that star lineup because she. I mean, I know every time she's in it, I'm, I'm there. I'm gonna see it. So. All
0: right. So like most Tarantino films, you get a lot of big names in here who we are just willing to show up for a scene or two or a line of dialogue. And this one's no different. We get the, a lot of the usual gang here. Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, Bruce Stern, uh, Zoe Bell. Tim Roth was actually in a scene that was cut. And if you look at the end credits, it says the gang and Tim Roth in parentheses cut. So he was he was in this as a Jay brings butler, an English butler. And just I don't know if you could find those scenes online, but it would be funny to look for it. Um, Luke. Perry is in this movie. This, this was his last role before he died. This film was actually dedicated to his memory. Um, Al Pacino mentioned him at the top here. He's in, he's in two scenes and it's just, it's, he's awesome. Dakota Fanning, who we hadn't seen in a while. This, this is, uh, early Austin Butler pre Elvis. Thankfully he's not doing the voice. Um, we get a a early, I don't know if this was our very first role, but Margot Qualley in this is fucking awesome. Uh, Julia Butters. There's just so many people. Emil Hirsch. There's a ton. I, I could go here all day and I'm, I'm sure I probably missed like a handful and people will let me know. Gail, was there anyone who stood out for you from the supporting cast that I either did mention there or forgot to? I'm positive. I forgot at least two.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm sure you did. Cause there are so many, but the real standout to me was not a regular, but, um, Andy McDowell's daughter, um, Margot Qualley, Margot Qualley. Yeah. I, I think she, her body language in this movie, she acts like her mother. So she like relies on her cute smile. So it's not amazing. I call it like the Catherine Keener syndrome. I don't quite know why they get cast all the time, but they're so cute. I'm fine watching them on screen. Um, But I think that Margaret Qualley, like her body language, when she is leaning over the car into into Brad Pitt's lap, or when she is um, on the ranch and she's She's just using her body to kind of entice uh, Cliff Booth to do what she wants or say what she wants. It, I, I think that she she really blew me away in this movie. Um, aside from her, I mean, I'm gonna lean I'm gonna lean heavy into um, Bruce Dern because I I know that and this might be trivia that you're saving for later, but I do know that somebody else was cast in this film. No, yeah, no, um, go, go for it. Okay, it was Burt Reynolds, and he died before. Um, before the, you know, they could film it. And so Bruce Dern kind of stepped in and I think that he was fantastic. He was confused and, and, and adamant and uh, he still kind of co- took control and he was grateful. And I, I don't know, it, it was, uh, it was, it was a really complex role for 10 minutes on screen.
0: And I read a little, to piggyback off you, Gail, I read that the last thing that Burt Reynolds is known to have said before he died was going over his lines as George Bond mm-hmm. with his assistant. So crazy, tragic, you know, what could have been. But obviously Bruce Dern is a well-accomplished actor. And in that role, I thought as George Bond was, was really well done. But yeah, it's it's interesting to think of a fork in the road moment there. Glenn, anyone stand out for you from the supporting cast?
1: Yeah, a couple of them. Um, one who gets a lot of negative press, unfortunately, is Mike Moe as Bruce Lee. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I actually mm. liked that performance. I don't know that it was the you know, a portrayal everybody loved, obviously, but I, I thought that he did a great job with a hard with hard material. Um, and then obviously Timmy all Timothy Oliphant as James Stacy. That's one who I'm not used to seeing in Tarantino or really, I mean in, in a lot of movies in general. He tends to do more TV and like that one just caught me as like, yeah, he kind of killed it in that role of yeah. asshole co-star, you know. <laughs> so right. I liked a lot
2: that's was, another sad one because i don't know if dave you were about to say the same I was, but yeah
0: yeah i think we're going the same place yeah
2: bill paxton was supposed to play mm-hmm. that role but he also passed away once upon a time in hollywood he killed a lot of our favorites but i didn't know that um so
0: we were going different places but that's that's Oh, okay yeah something i didn't know i was reading into jim stacy the actual person that timothy oliphant plays and apparently this guy was like really fucked up he Got into a car accident a couple years after this. This is a real show, Lancer. Right. And he lost his arm and his leg. And then in 95, he was convicted of molesting an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. Oh. And tried to kill himself by jumping off a, of a mountain. And then a tree apparently broke his fall 15 feet away. So he couldn't even kill himself properly. It was just, yeah. Just, the man who just, would not like,
1: die, literally.
0: Yeah, just you know. a, yeah. <laughs> tough, tough break for my guy there. So we got we got the uh, best of them in Olymphant Olymphant. But uh yeah, it was I was that was part of the, the rabbit holes I was going down to. All right, on that happy note, I'm going to uh <laughs> yeah, we did this when we did Pulp Fiction and I'm gonna piggyback off that a little bit. We talked about what's in the briefcase, which is a, a, a question that Tarantino would be bored by. And here's probably another question that Tarantino would be bored by that, but I'm gonna ask it anyway for the for the sake of a podcast did cliff booth kill his wife gail on purpose okay go good give your give your take
2: i think he i think he killed his wife but i think it was i think it was a spear gun axe ac- i think it was an accident and i think there's a whole legend around it and he's keeping his trap shut and he the, in the cliff booth in te- like high integrity kind of way he did kill his wife he probably feels remorseful for it. Um, and that that's my theory on the Cliff Booth wife.
0: I like thing. that it was the Doxima girl, Rebecca Gayhart, play, playing the wife. It did remind me a little bit of the scene that she's in where he's holding the spear gun. And it was kind of reminiscent of John Travolta in, in the back, in the front seat of the car with the gun. Uh, like you shot Marvin in the face, kind of maybe like a, a wave Marvin. Yeah. Poor Marvin, poor uh, Billy. Billy Booth is what I, I didn't know her name until I, I looked it up. Glenn, what, what's your theory? I,
1: I think it's I think it was so excellently shot as a as as a question that I refuse to answer. I <laughs> I, I, I love that scene, and I think the funniest answer to that is "Who gives a flying fuck."
0: <laughs> That's fair. I think to a degree, this could because there I know people who hate this movie. Oh sure, there there are people yeah. who like despise this movie, and that could mm-hmm. be because of your take on did he kill his wife? Okay, he did kill his wife. So I'm supposed to worship him at the end of this movie because he did the right thing. And, you know, I, I just choose to not really care. It's a movie. And, you know, it's it's fun to think about, did he, didn't he? If he did, it was probably an accident. But, it's, yeah. It is, yeah, it is I,
1: a question of... Um, I think Tarantino loves to tease you, though. I think he likes to make you go, well, I don't know how to feel now. Because that is Tarantino's game, is going... I don't yeah. I don't know how I should and feel also, about what I just saw. <laughs> you're
2: totally totally right. And everything with Tarantino is great. There's no good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. Everybody's a good guy and everybody's a bad guy. You love the wolf in Pulp Fiction. He's a piece of shit, but he also he's a helper, right? Like he's like <laughs> Mr. Rogers. You look to the helpers and the wolf is a helper. Like you got the good guy, bad guy. Cliff Booth is a good guy who's a bad guy who's a good guy, right? <laughs>
1: but gail the audience doesn't want to hear that they want they (laughs) want to know give them their binary binary. go to therapy guys (laughs) yes (laughs) therapy services available after the show
0: all right on that note we're going to take a break and we'll come back to talk about our favorite scenes everybody good Mm -hmm. okay Okay. We are back. Favorite scenes. I'm going to do this a little differently than we normally do. I'm just going to list all of the ones that I noted. And we. Okay. So I'm, here's one of them. I'm just going to list them off really quick Rick and Marvin Schwartz's conversation, the Bruce Lee scene, Rick and Trudy Fraser. That's Judy, Julia Butters' their conversation. Uh, Rick's meltdown in the trailer, the Spawn Ranch scene, and the ending massacre. By all means, if I if either of you want to talk about something I did, did not mention there, go ahead. Gail, where would you like to lead off? <sighs>
2: um, well, let's go ahead and get started with uh, the Pacino-Dicaprio sure. uh, scene, because I think that's really important um, to give a good baseline of who uh, Rick Dalton is and who he was and who people now see him as, and... It's a great leadoff. It's a great, it's a great um, kind of love song to the movies and how they treat actors as they age or as they kind of age out of roles that they're known for. And um, you have Al Pacino as marvin schwartz, who's who's trying in his own way to make a buck off of Rick Dalton, but trying to get him work. And um I think this was a really important setup scene for the entire. Movie that is a movie of conversations and scenes and bits and and this was a a good
0: kickoff. Just so great, just him. The you see the look on DiCaprio's face as Pacino as, as Marvin Schwartz is, is telling him, he's like, okay, you play the bad guy, right? You lose the fight. He's like, well, what the audience sees is J.K. Hill getting his ass kicked, and who's gonna kick your ass next week? Is it gonna be the man from Uncle? Is it gonna be Batman and Robin? And mm. They're just they're basically getting what they can out of you before they shove you to the curve. And you just see DiCaprio's demeanor go from like kind of upbeat at the beginning of this meeting to like, holy fuck, like this guy just like opened my eyes. I do enjoy like the the scenes. Obviously, we get the the 14th fest of McCluskey there, you know. anybody order fried sauerkraut so and he, he lights all these Nazis That's on good. fire. I, I like the flamethrower scene where he's like, Can we do anything about the heat? So, so. important. Rick. So it's, important. It's- it's a flamethrower. <laughs> <So, laughs> and also the, uh, when he says, uh, when he talks about Cliff, he's like, yeah, my car's in the shop. He He's driving me around. We get the Kurt Russell voiceover. He's like, Well, oh, it's a big fucking lie. <laughs> it's like, Rick, Rick got a drunk, Rick got his license taken away for too many drug driving tickets and Cliff has to drive him around now. So just, it's a great scene. They, they put a lot of clips in there. Just brilliant piece of filmmaking from Tarantino. Glenn, what'd you think of this scene?
1: uh yeah i i've had i've had a lot of good fortune to spend time on sets and in post rooms and and taking care of a lot of behind the scenes work to make it all look good and one thing i found is everything that's listed there is absolutely true 100 over and it's all on display every time that person walks into the room um i i think we're supposed to at first believe that you know uh brad or or that uh, leo's character is this phenomenal actor and very quickly, we're disillusioned by that. Even to the point where that flamethrower, hey, can we do something about the heat, uh, was supposedly actually DiCaprio's reaction to the flamethrower. And Tarantino <laughs> decided to keep it in the movie because he thought it was
2: very
1: funny. Um And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, uh, we can't do anything about the heat. It's a flamethrower. <laughs> just, just very well done, the whole thing. And, and, and then you have Al Pacino, one of the greatest living actors who got his start in almost you know in almost the same way of just like someone you really had to take a chance on this guy and hope that he was going to be good and he turned out to be everything but now he's in these parts he's in these manager parts these old guy you know parts and mm-hmm. kind of like ah that's hard to see knowing that he was michael and the godfather you know it's that kind mm-hmm. of thing so
0: Glenn, keep it going. What's, what's one you'd like to talk about?
1: Um, I think you brought – you didn't bring this one up, but one scene I love uh, is when Sharon Tate goes to the movies. Yes. Uh, when she wants a ticket and she goes up and she asks for a ticket and she says, well, could I get it? I was in the movie. And no one believes her. No one believes that she was actually in this movie until she points it out that she was. And then they make her take a picture beside the poster – and, you know, but then she's just so happy watching this movie. She's thrilled by the audience. She's thrilled by what's going on. She's remembering the fight sequence and training for it. And you're just like, oh, how could you not love it, though? How could you not love her in that moment?
0: Both Margot Robbie and the Sharon Tate sure. character. So, yeah.
2: You
0: know, and I love that they used actual footage. It was Sharon Tate on yes. the screen. It, yes. it wasn't- well,
1: especially because they did cut the other actors into the scenes that they recreate you know great escape and and these other big moments it's like no they kept Sharon Tate. i think that was respecting i think tarantino is expressing a bit of real sadness here uh Mm -hmm. i'll
0: um i'll step on my internet research a little bit this this scene was inspired by something that actually happened to tarantino he wanted to see true romance and he showed up the theater and Nobody believed him when he said, "I wrote the script for this movie." <laughs> no, and I mean I that's a, fair though. <laughs> fair, like how are they at
2: the time? Right. How do you know Tarantino? Yeah,
0: sure.
1: So He's I, just I, the
2: twitchy guy that's at the that's at the movie stand. Why right? is he looking like... at
1: my feet so much? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, so why don't we switch into Bruce Lee? We'll talk about this. Um, this is where this is the scene that I guess is the one of the more controversial ones, I guess this and the massacre at the end are the, the two mm-hmm. most controversial scenes. But I, I mm-hmm. love the scene like, like you do as well, Glenn. Um, we, we see Kurt Russell in the scene before, and he, he's talking with uh, Rick about how he's creepy. He doesn't dig his vibe because he killed his wife. And we, we, we do see that scene there. And this is all it. This scene is interesting because it's, it could be an unreliable narrator. Brad Pitt is fixing the Caprio's uh, TV antenna and he's kind of reminiscing to himself and we, we see this fight, and Bruce Lee's talking about the intricacies of combat, and we see all these people around him just basically like, yes, man, they're just wowed to be in this guy's presence, except for Cliff, who Cliff just kind of like rebukes everything he says, and they wind up getting into a fight. It, funny, he says he would make Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, a, a cripple if they fought, and... I remember just like so many people when I was a kid, like in the army, they would say like, I can't fight anyone because my hands are are lethal weapons. And just like, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 year old me. I'm like, Oh, whoa. whoa, Okay. okay, All right, cool. And and Pitt's just like, yeah, that's just something people say. So they don't actually have to get into a real fight. And he's like, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. He's like, anybody kills anybody in a fight. They go to jail. It's called manslaughter. He's just going toe to toe. And this scene was like largely set up this in the spawn ranch scene are largely set up to build, build pit up. So at the end of the movie, when everything happens with the Manson family, it, we're not, we're led to believe that this is very feasible, that he, he could do this to these people. Um, Gail, what'd you think of the Bruce Lee scene? Uh,
2: so, yeah, I mean, I can see why it's a controversial scene. It really doesn't paint Bruce Lee in the best light, um, but who cares? I mean, it's a fictionalized account. It It doesn't paint anyone in the best light. Um, I, I, mean, you know, it's the only person that it's somewhat respectful to is Sharon Tate. And I, I, I don't have a problem with this scene. I, I also think that it's very funny. Um, the buildup of, of Cliff Booth's character. I find every scene that Cliff Booth is in to be fascinating. I can't, as much as I can't take my eyes off of Margot Robbie, I also can't take my eyes off of Brad Pitt and it's not just because they're two of the most beautiful people in the world but there's something about <laughs> the Brad Pitt portrayal of Cliff Booth and the Margot Robbie portrayal of Sharon Tate that I'm enamored with I've watched this movie probably four times now I don't re-watch movies this is a long movie to rewatch, and I love it more and more and more the more times I watch it and seeing Cliff Booth's character build up right from here is because this is also the scene where they talk about him being a wife killer i mean it's it's a big scene and uh i i think i think this is a fun scene
1: yeah
0: glenn what'd you you think of the scene i know you said you were pro but Uh, uh
1: you know here here's the thing right like this there is a a sort of untalked about but well known side of hollywood which is that Actors don't really do their own stunts. Some do, some don't, right? And so, like, to to get into this idea of who is the guy behind the guy who's doing all of the hard stuff, that's your Cliff Booth, right? Like the 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 guy who's behind the main guy, and he's not rich, he's not famous, he's living on whatever paycheck the main guy can give him, and he's a tough badass because he's gonna get lit on fire, he's gonna get thrown through glass, he's gonna fall downstairs, he's gonna jump off buildings, he's gonna. You know he's gonna take the gunshot, whatever it is, and he might die. Like you have to kind of just not give a shit to be that person. And I know those people because I've worked with them, I've trained them, I've trained with them. Like they are, they are scary motherfuckers when they really want to (laughs) be. They're also some of the nicest people you're ever gonna meet. They're gonna go out of their way to fix your house. They're gonna go out of their way to walk your dog. They're, you know, they're people too. Like Cliff Booth. Like Cliff Booth. And what I think this is doing is, yes, it is setting up who Cliff Booth is at the end of this movie, but even one of the kind of co-stone coordinators, his name was Robert Alonzo, he told um, several publications, like, originally Cliff was supposed to win, and then Cliff and uh, uh, Pitt, or um, Alonzo and Pitt, uh, went to Tarantino and basically said, no, this has to be a draw. It can't just be like he kicks his ass and that's over. So they changed it. And one thing that I think is important is, Like, somebody else brought up the point. Bruce Lee really had to maintain a persona to be Bruce Lee in the time that he was Bruce Lee. He had to be tough. He went off. He did a bunch of fighting movies, came back to the U.S. and built up this persona. And that had to have been hard because nobody is the mythic man of legend. Everybody's got flaws. And so the point that I would drive out with this is if you don't like the betrayal, remember, there's still a real person behind that person. And to get his butt kicked is not inconceivable because he's not Superman. So yeah. I you know I'm getting a little defensive here, but I'm getting defensive largely because I I just get tired of the like, well, it's it's rude to this group of people. Yes, I think there were rude things about it, but I also think it was 60s Hollywood and it's Quentin Tarantino, and Quentin Tarantino has never exactly been nice. So no. maybe we should all just drop our knickers, <laughs> bend over, take it for a minute, and be done. <laughs> all right, I need a minute. I'm gonna get some water, have a good conversation.
0: All right, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll let you catch your breath rick and trudy frazier this is julia butters so before i talk about the scene i'm seeing i was seeing the fablemans this is the steven spielberg movie that came out uh at the end of mm-hmm. the year nominated for best picture and this movie is largely focused on this this figure who isn't but is based on steven spielberg and he does have these sisters they're in the they're in the background for most of this movie uh, did either of you see this movie the mm-hmm. fablemans mm-hmm. yes yeah i did okay So I'm watching this. The sisters are kind of largely background characters until the end when one of them gives this like killer monologue to the point where I'm watching this movie and I grab my phone. I'm like, who the hell was that? Yes, right? Yes. I'm like, holy shit, that was Julia Butters from this movie. And obviously she's at that age where you have a massive growth spurt. So I obviously didn't recognize her right away. But she was like lightning in a bottle in this role. She's like, this. I think she's 10 years old at the time of this. And Just the first thing she says, DiCaprio says to her, would it bother you if I sat next to you and read my book? And she's like, I don't know. Would you bother me? And she's just talking about like the intricacies of acting. And she's like, you know, eating would make me sluggish. And it's the actor's job to strive for 100% effectiveness. Naturally, we never succeed, but it's the pursuit that's meaningful. And DiCaprio is just like, who are you? And just this, this child is just hanging with DiCaprio one of the biggest stars in the world. And she just, this is a a short scene, but I love it so much. Just their conversation and just how wowed he is by her. And I think that kind of just represents the audience because I was just just as wowed by her. Gail, what'd you you think of her in this scene?
2: Oh, she blew me away. I mean, when she kept prompting Rick Dalton to tell her more about the story that he was reading, not, you know, that, yeah, right, about Easy Breezy. And, you know, he wasn't finished yet. So he had all of these excuses not to tell her about the story. But all she wanted to know was about the story, which any good actor would. And she was prompting him to be a good actor and put himself in the story and translate the story and the emotions and the feelings and just the character. And I think that I I mean, the the performance that he gave the next scene over is because of the prompting that she did the scene before.
0: Yeah. Glenn, what do you think of the scene? Yeah, I I also
1: love the dichotomy of this child who is clearly better at the acting than you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is supposed to be. Like sure this kid is 10 and on his level already and she's got her whole career ahead of her. (laughs) Leonardo DiCaprio's going, Okay, all right, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs>
0: and so yeah. you're getting
1: this small child, like you know, said, like giving him a pep talk to be better at his job.
0: And just when she like goes in his ear and she's like, that was the best acting I've ever seen. And just, just to hype him up and it, you could sell like how emotional he was getting like her delivery in that line. Like there could be a lesser child actor that, you know, delivers that shitty and not here because she ruled. And I, I think she's someone I'm definitely going to talk about a little later when we, when we do uh, awards, maybe. But yeah, I think she's someone we're going to be seeing a lot of in the future. All right, uh, let's see. I did that one. Glenn, pick a scene.
1: Um, you know, I would uh, jump to um. This is not so much a scene, but the uh, the sort of montage of of his career when he takes on all these Italian movies and how he goes and you know, um, and, and becomes he he did one for Sergio Leone, you know, like that idea of like. I just think it's funny to uh, sort of mash up all of these horrible spaghetti Western style slash bad Italian spy movies and go, I think, is that real? I had to, I had to Google a couple to make sure they weren't yeah. real. So um, we're getting a little later in the movie, but I did like that one.
0: Incredibly. I would have thought Antonio Margariti was a real director if I, if I hadn't recently watched Inglorious Bastards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think Glenn, I think a lot of this is real and I think, if you've ever heard Tarantino give interviews, like this guy has forgotten more about movies than I'll yes. ever remember. Right. And it's just, I think he was, a lot of this was like flexing and I'm i like, I'm good with it. Just flex all you want. I, but I,
1: so much detail, so much wonderful detail put into even those little
0: flexes. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a great montage there. I right, Gail, what's the scene you liked?
1: Oh gosh. Uh...
0: I've got from my list still that we haven't hit, uh, the Rick Meltdown, Spawn Ranch, and the Ending Massacre. If there's any of those or something else. I
2: I think we can all talk about Spawn Ranch and and the Ending Massacre together. But I think just before that, when you talk about the little details, I think so so much of Cliff Booth's character and everything that Brad Pitt did and everything that Tarantino directed him to do. Like um, when he all of the helping out that he does for Rick, just, like, being his chauffeur and fixing his roof. And when he does fix the roof, you get the small, the small detail of him parkouring his his ass up to the top of that roof. Like, that's important. It's important that he can do that. And nothing's mentioned of it. It's blink and you miss it, but you see him leap from, like, the side of the house to the sheds of the roof. And that matters. And, you and know... he takes
1: his shirt off and he's got a ripping six... I mean...
2: Listen, I'm okay with that Damn part it. too. Damn it. I'm fine Damn with it. that. And then <laughs> but like at the end, right before the Manson massacre, you get him lighting up that um acid. that acid cigarette that that he gets from uh from Pussycat and you never see that scene actually happen. It's a flashback that we didn't see happen. And it's it's so it's so Tarantino that that happened. and When he puts that cigarette in his mouth, and he lights it, and it's just this slow shot of Brad Pitt sucking on something. We all love it. We all love to see it. Just the away we go. And it's so small, and it's so big. And that is the kickstart of that massacre. And it just starts with a drag of an acid cigarette that he bought from Pussycat. Ugh. Tarantino, I love
0: you. <laughs> all right, before we go to the very end, I, I do want to hit on the, the meltdown in the trailer by Rick. Just, this is like a minute long scene, but it's so fucking funny. He he comes in just, the first, the opening shot is him throwing glass up against the window and breaking the window. And he, he's like, you embarrass yourself like that and all those goddamn people. And he's like, he's like, eight whiskey sours. You could have stopped at three or four. He's just making baboons. <laughs> he's like whiskey sours. like, Make a promise to yourself. You're gonna stop drinking right now. And then he has a drink right there. "Ah!" (laughs) Just the suicide note he's given to himself in the mirror. He's like, "Get your fucking lines right, or I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out tonight." He's like, (laughs) "I just, I love this scene, and I, it's just, I forget who won the Oscar for best actor, but I I, might have been someone from Parasite, and Tarantino didn't get best director. It was Bong Joon Ho. This Paris, it was the year of Parasite, 2019. I can't really argue with Mm -hmm. that, but." I, you know
2: y'all it was Rami Malek like
0: ugh, yeah no okay that uh, that I can argue with yeah
2: and it was actually green book the
0: 2019
2: was, the was it so it came out in 2019 so it was actually probably the 2020 Oscars let me rephrase that I know
0: he lost I know Tarantino lost best director to bong Jun Ho which to I you ba- know, yeah sure um
2: oh it was Joaquin for Joker yeah ugh, ugh.
1: I guess. All right, so we've had a collective moan here about this because it is truly a moment we should all just take to recognize.
0: What yeah, at you least pick one. This rant in the- <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at this now, and yeah, I did know going in it was Parasite, which I love Parasite, so I'm not really, but yeah, yeah. Joaquin. Yeah. I, I I do.
1: I remember that being kind of an incredible Oscar movie year, like in terms of what kind of just going like, I can't think about what's getting nominated this year. As opposed yeah. to
0: 2020, where I was. Oh, like, it was oh, a
1: great. Year. Nominated this year.
2: Yeah, let's take out Joker, but it was a great year.
0: Sure. Okay, so the ending massacre of this movie. This, I guess, any anxiety I had about this film going in was, how are they going to handle the Sharon Tate murder? How did? What was your, the two of you? What was your knowledge of this going in? Because I was a huge junkie for the E. True Hollywood Stories and all that stuff in the 2000, like great Hollywood tragedies. So I was up on pretty much all this shit. And I knew, I knew pretty well. I didn't know like the intricate, the every little small detail, but I knew Sharon Tate was a major actress who got murdered by the Manson family in the late sixties. I knew she's married to Roman Polanski who kind of just went off the rails, obviously after this happened to him, calls it the greatest tragedy of his life, not to excuse, excuse the things he did after, but it's, it's pretty terrible. And, so I was I was like how are they gonna possibly handle this with any class and he did but what uh, curious to know before we we talk about this the, the actual scene uh Gail what was your working knowledge of, of this tragedy
2: uh, I, was, I was somewhat familiar with the with the Manson family and the manson murders um i I'm not like a true crime junkie but I do like I really like a good documentary and um, so I I know I know enough about it. I knew who Sharon Tate was. I knew who Roman Polanski was. I didn't know who Jay was. Um, I didn't. Um, I don't think I knew she was pregnant at the time, which is doubly sad. Um, it, after after I saw the end of this movie, I had to fact check what was real and what was not real. Um, I mean, I know the big reveal where she. Didn't come out in the end and invite Rick Dalton over to her place, but um, I had to. I had to kind of figure out what Tarantino took liberties with, as opposed to what actually happened and who was there. Like, was Tex the person that was there, or did he? Was he just there because Rick saw? It? Was he a made-up character? Like, no, Tex was there. Like, it was. Uh, it, it was a, a lot of reading to do and a lot of information to take in, and it was really fucked up
0: is the actual murders are pretty fucking brutal. I, you know, we don't need to go down the road. I'd, I'd encourage everyone if you want to it all the information's there, but it, it's pretty, it's, it's tough to even read about, let alone like see. So I'm glad they, they took liberties with this. Glenn, what was, mm-hmm. what was your knowledge of this going in?
1: Um, I, I had always been at least adjacently aware of the Manson family material just because of the Helter Skelter thing. I've been a huge Beatles fan for a long, long time. So like that whole you know, association has always been in my mind, but not in any like prime way. Um, I don't remember if it was in this movie or if it was something I just read. the The idea of the 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 idea that Tarantino had about this, you know, not being what it was, but how it could have been or how it should have been. That idea, um, I think the title is more apt when you realize the ending of this movie is the fairy tale he mm-hmm. wished it was. Um, but it it's just uh i i think there's some vindication even if you're only adjacently aware of what what actually happened of going like yeah they Go cliff, like I, I don't yeah. know. that's that's kind of what I yeah. Of it, so yeah.
0: yeah, so that was like you mentioned. We talked about Bruce Lee and how that was. There was a lot of controversy surrounding that scene. There was a lot of controversy surrounding this scene as well because of apparently oh Brad Pitt's brutality yeah. to women. And like, if you read the things that these women said to Sharon Tate before they stabbed her over and over again, you would not have any reservations about their faces being smashed no. by cans of dog food or, <laughs> or anything no. like that. But this scene just fucking rules. If if you were a, if you were someone who's only in the, the Tarantino for the action set pieces, this was this was your moment. And I love how I, we get a lot of Tarantino actors' kids in this movie. Like Bruce Willis's daughter was in this earlier. I love how mm-hmm. Maya Hawk was in this scene, and she was just like, "Fuck this," and just just left, and just drove mm-hmm. away. So um, we had Cliff tripping drip, drip, on acid, and obviously the three. The three, uh, Austin, Austin Butler, and the the two others break into the house, and just we we've seen Cliff at Spawn Ranch beat the shit out of the guy who slashed his tire. We saw him fight Bruce Lee. So even so, we're left to believe as the audience, as he's squaring off with these these three strung out hippies, that he's the favorite. If you're if you're taking Vegas odds, he's probably like minus one ten to win this fight. And just when he when he does that and brandy the pit bull just unleashes on austin butler and we uh mikey madsen runs up to him smashes her in, in the face with the can of dog food and just you're, you're like holy fuck it's on and then he sits the pit bull on her i actually do get a little nauseous watching this when you see mikey madsen run through the glass door and she's got the shards that's of that's tough yeah it's, yeah, it, it's tough. She she had a she had a rough go of it. Apparently she's based on Susan Atkins, who's one of the Manson family murderers who's still alive. And she apparently she just got rejected for parole again in 2021, I believe.
2: I think she's actually oh no, never mind. I was thinking about Squeaky. Squeaky is out. She was in upstate New York. Yep. My husband worked at Barnes and Noble here for a long time. There was a man who would send her crossword puzzles. Send cross puzzles to Squeaky in, in in a prison and now they're living together and in love. So happy endings for Squeaky. Sure.
0: Good for good for her, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, like the yeah. glorious bastards, he does take his liberties with history here in, in a good way. And we we see obviously Rick Dalton, he uses the flamethrower there on, on Mikey Madsen. She just she just has a really rough last 10 minutes of her life. Uh, the other girl gets her fa- her face bashed into every facet of the house before dying yeah. and just, this is just, this is a brutal scene and it ends, it ends very happily with, you know, uh, I guess the metaphor is Rick walking up Sharon Tate's gate. It's kind of like the gates of heaven or Hollywood. And presumably you're left to believe maybe, maybe Dalton meets up with Roman Polanski and, and has like a new lease on his career. So it's fun to draw those parallels there. Gail, what'd you think of the ending?
2: I got a lot of thoughts on this ending. And first and foremost, I think that people are going to nitpick Tarantino for his violence against women. And I don't disagree that the violence that he shows against women, like Jennifer Jason Leigh in um, in The Hateful Eight or, um, oh my God, in fucking true-, true um, Romance. Law- yeah, true romance, true lies. Mm. Bless that movie, but True (laughs) Romance. (laughs) Totally different. Um, I would not stand for Jamie Lee Curtis getting beat the shit out of, but True Romance, um, the violence is is so graphic and so brutal and so visceral. And I think that people kind of latch onto that, but where I think this movie is different is that this, was really fucking nice to see on those Manson family women. I wanted to see them get obliterated because we know what happened. We fell in love with Sharon Tate in this movie. Like we through start to finish, we're sitting there knowing what's going to happen and praying to God that he's going to take a bastard's turn or a Django turn and revise this history and not make us watch Sharon Tate get murdered. And bless his heart, he didn't. So everything he took out on these two women, he did not take out on Sharon Tate. And it was it was everything I think his career has led up to. And I also want to say that I think that he writes really complex, really compelling women. He does not write one-dimensional women. And the violence that he shows against women, I think I don't take offense to as a woman. Um, honestly, it's equality. So I'll take that. But I, <laughs> I, this scene is so... So intense with Chekhov's flamethrower and just everything. Like I said, everything that Tarantino has done in his past movies, his three most current movies are his three best movies in my eyes. His revisionist history is his best work. And this is his very best, very best movie and the very best scene in this movie. So hats off to you, Tarantino. That's how I
0: feel about it. Glenn, what would you think of the ending?
1: Um, I- I'm going to tread somewhat cautiously and then not cautiously at all. So I'm appreciative that Gail <laughs> went first because she voiced some things that I would like to bring up, but it's easier uh, if they're already brought into the conversation. The scene is really violent. It is perhaps overly violent at points with the repeated head bashing, the dog you know, mauling people where you can just see it happening. Um, but... And this is where I'm going to try. I'm probably not going to tread very cautiously at all. So, um, Quentin Tarantino does it to everybody on screen. It does not matter if it's a man, a woman, and in between, uh, you know, I don't care. He's doing it to everybody. (laughs) He just is.
2: That's what I mean by equality, right? Um, Like equality. He's not saying, you know what, let's treat these women delicately and just slap them across the face. They deserve the head bashing too.
1: And, and and there's there's always been, or at least very recently, more so been that lingering question of does he hate women? And I'm going to argue, I think he loves women. I just think he doesn't understand them a lot of the time. Um, he writes incredibly complex, like you said, incredibly complex women who are just kind of <laughs> weird. And I think that's Quentin Tarantino's brain trying to figure out what a woman is when he's writing it. And that's not going to work because he's a, he's a straight white dude, you know, like... But it does work at the same time. And he, name me another director who's a man, who's at his level, who's writing women the same way that he is. Because I can't think of one that, you know, Freaking Spielberg's done. I'm trying it, to remember the well, last time Steven Spielberg had a woman that was as memorable as The Bride or as, um, you know, uh, uh, oh gosh, oh. Your face. I can't remember
2: the memorable women but i understand what you're no, saying Inglorious
1: glorious bastards she's the one who brought down the entire. Yeah. oh
2: shoshana yeah she shoshana. brings
1: down the nazis like are you kidding me Like, right
2: shoshana is one of the most powerful women ever written i think and to take that away honestly as 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 one-dimensional as people seem to think that this Sharon Tate performance is, it is not. It's so complex to give her life, to leave her alone was so smart of Tarantino. Like, he does really delicate things with women and then he sticks dogs on them and that's fine.
1: But, you know, and I'm going to go even in just one step further on a point I made earlier, which is I really, really think quentin tarantino is sad that this happened he that we lost someone who would have gone on to have a great movie career because he loves movies so he was telling the story of the you know what he wished would have happened in the world of movies which is that we would have gotten a sharon tate for a long time you know and and that's just it didn't happen and i just think this is a little bit of him going god i wish it could happen so Again, did I try delicately? No, but I, I just think it's important to think like at least he's trying to give these agency pieces to
0: everybody. Um, so, no, great takes. This awesome ending to this movie. There's nothing I would change about it. I don't think this was this movie rules. So glad to be glad to be here chatting about it. Why don't we move on? According to the internet. So I like to start these with the, the casting. Almost there's there's a couple. of I don't know how concrete any of these were, but they're here. So let's let's chat about them. It's a Jennifer Lawrence was originally up for the part of Squeaky From, but Tarantino in an interview said, quote, it didn't work out. And the part went Mm. to Dakota Fanning. I could have worked, but I I think there was like a disgustingness about Dakota Fanning in that role that Jennifer Lawrence might not have been as believable as Gail. Any thoughts on that?
2: I have to tell you, up and I've seen this movie four times, and up until today, I did not know that it was Dakota Fanning yeah. as Squeaky. I, I had no idea. Um, she was such a angelic child. It's very strange to see her in this filthy, filthy role with her dirty, dirty feet. And I, like, I thought that she... Oh, girl! Like she did a great job. She did a great job making you dislike this person that you really needed to dislike.
0: Glenn,
1: I agree. I'm not even going to try to <laughs> add to it. I, 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 It took me a moment to be like, wait a minute. Oh my god, that's Dakota Fanning. Like I just, because yeah. you just don't see it right away. And then, and then when he goes and talks to Bruce Dern's character, and you're like, oh no, yeah, I, I guess if you're, if you're blind and don't give,
0: you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. okay all right sure Enjoy yeah. her. all right so here's one i don't i don't know i don't know the validity of it but it, it, it was here so i'm gonna i'm gonna reveal it so quentin tarantino had discussions with tom cruise about playing cliff i obviously i love brad pitt he won an oscar for this he's fucking awesome i might have been cool you know i tom cruise is kind of like in his own world he don't, i don't know at this point in his career where he does like supporting roles, but I think if anyone could kind of rein him in, it would be QT. It could have worked under Tarantino's direction, I think. Gail, what say you?
2: You know, they come from the same, I mean, I think of them way back working side by side and then kind of in opposing roles, but like with Interview of Vampire and, They're of the same era. Um, The the difference is Brad Pitt is a character actor in A Leading Man's Body, and Tom Cruise is a leading man. And he has the leading man looks, and I don't think he could have pulled it off the way that Brad Pitt does, because I don't think he has the sense of self, Awareness to play a character like Cliff Booth. I don't think he has the dimension that Brad Pitt does. I i don't think it would have worked.
0: Yeah, because we see Pitt in this several times. He just openly admits that he's DiCaprio's gopher. And yeah, I, I couldn't see Cruz doing that.
2: He would never he would never have allowed himself to say
0: that. Sure. Glenn, any anything to add on that one? Uh the word I'd put to it is
1: subtlety. I don't think Tom Cruise has the subtlety to play the part the way that Brad Pitt did. Brad Pitt mm. is so good at being quiet and watching and Tom Cruise has to be the center of everything and has always had to be the center of literally everything. I don't know a role where I haven't seen him be big. So Yeah. Um, right. Brad Pitt can absolutely just watch and even when he's watching you can't take your eyes off him. So
2: Exactly. Like Brad Pitt driving it. I can watch Brad Pitt drive a car for an hour and a half and and not even know that that time has gone by. But I will tell you, Tom Cruise has that same effect on me on screen. Like, I can't take my eyes off of him, but for a completely different mm-hmm. reason. Exactly. Like, he's magnetic where Brad Pitt is nuanced. It's just so different.
0: All right, one more I have here. Charlie Day was the studio's first choice to play Charles Manson. But <laughs> Day said he wanted – declined the role saying he did not want to see himself on screen as a as sure. person and it was said tarantino wanted charles manson didn't want to glorify him at all wanted him to be in this as little as possible and he was he was in he was in this movie for about two minutes damon Harriman played him i don't know if this i'm i'm sure you, you two both watch mindhunter right I've yeah it was the same yeah i don't know if that's yeah. coincidence or intention but yeah he played him played him pretty much a lot differently. I guess this is in in jail Manson, but the, the role in Mindhunter was a lot different than this kind of hippie. And yeah, it was fine. It, it was kind of by design, I guess an unmemorable part. I don't really think about Damon Harriman as Charles Manson for that one scene in this movie too much, but yeah, I, I guess Charlie day would have been cool, but I, I guess he probably didn't want to see himself there and didn't really, I don't think it really added or subtracted any value from the film. I have a couple more here. The Playboy Mansion scene, that was actually the Playboy Mansion. Tarantino was adamant that he wanted to shoot there, but this was shortly after the death of Hugh Hefner, and it was tough to... They had a relationship that Tarantino and the new owner did not have, so we had to kind of haggle with him a little bit. He eventually... Apparently, the new owner of this film, the new owner of the Playboy Mansion, agreed to let them shoot in one room in the house and in the backyard, but didn't want a a big film crew taking over the whole house, so... That beggars can't be choosers they got what they settled for here i thought that scene at the playboy mansion was, was pretty effective
1: i don't think it. i don't think we lost anything like no. i don't know that you could have had the whole mansion and what would you have done with it except showing them walking through it right
0: yeah mm-hmm. okay i got one i got one more here uh deborah tate sharon's sister she initially opposed the film didn't want to sensationalize the manson family or her sister's murder tarantino met up with her showed her the script and as soon as she saw it i guess like the same as our reaction to the end scene uh she withdrew her opposition and even lended margot robbie some of her actual some of sharon tate's actual jewelry to to wear on nice. the film so cool i got I, I would imagine reading this as you know her sister and having you know the weight of this tragedy on her for the last 50 years you see this and you you have to smile at app how he handled us it was it was r- really well done i thought so cool touch there trivia okay so as we mentioned earlier quentin tarantino was nominated for best director for once upon a time in hollywood did not win lost the bong jun ho i have no problem with that surprisingly he's only only three of his nine films he got nominated for best director what are the other two i'm gonna give you a couple combinations Jackie Brown and The Hateful Eight, Inglorious Bastards and Kill Bill Volume 1, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained, Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. Gail.
2: I think it's Pulp Fiction and Bastards, probably.
0: Okay. Glenn. I'm gonna go uh Pulp Fiction and Django. Gail, you got it. It was uh Bastards and pulps. Yeah.
1: It was that yeah. that honestly though, like because um I, I do remember like I think I think that e it could have gone either way there, like in terms of
2: Yeah. That.
1: We did honestly um... those
2: two movies are very like they're not interchangeable because they're very different movies, but they're just like so
1: they're good. They're just coming. They're
2: so <laughs> fucking good. I'm not not pulp fiction, but I mean, Bastards and Django. I mean, pulp fiction's good too, but I guess.
0: But... <laughs> Let
1: me shove this off the side. I'm I the cat Knocking it off the counter.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna say we am going go a limb and say we all complained about this separately on our respective Tarantino episodes that we were on together. But Inglorious Bastards, he was nominated and lost to Catherine Bigelow for the, the Hurt Locker, oh, which, oh. yeah. And then I, I can
1: tell you how many times I've seen the Hurt Locker
0: once, once, yeah, <laughs> once? yeah. not a rewatchable,
1: and, and not yeah. I'm sure we've played
0: a lot. Forrest Gump, Robert Zemeckis, best director.
2: Fucking god, yeah. I fucking hate that fucking movie. You know right. what
0: though? There was no way that movie wasn't going to
1: win because that was Tom Hanks. Oh, pain. it
2: was pandering. It was you know that.
1: what? What Oscar ceremony isn't though? So let's just let's. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I
2: hate the Oscars are the Oscars are a joke. But yeah, oh no.
1: Okay, now we're in a different discussion.
0: Quick.
2: quick. But no, yeah, I love watching. <laughs> I love watching them. But They're, oh, I'm gonna watch them.
1: And
0: I'll probably cheer
1: oh, on the things
2: gosh. I like, <laughs> I hope Will Smith punches someone else this year.
1: No, yeah. he'd have to upgrade. He needs to do like a full-on jump kick. Yeah. And Then they'll be like, Round wait, up. how did you get in here? Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, awards time. Uh, sixth band. There were, I guess we talked about this morning cast. There's just a ton of people in this movie. And I didn't, I'm looking at like some of the, the bigger names that are in these small parts. Like Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, and I'm like, yeah, they, they were great, but I don't think this really advanced their career. I don't think it really like did anything in terms of like shining a spotlight. I know who these people were before, I know who they were after. They were great, great to see them. I did not award any of those. for the, For me, this was a, a two person race between Margaret Qualley and Julia Butters because this was kind of the first time either of these people were showcased. And ultimately, I I went with Julia Butters because I just I was. I could watch the conversation that her and DiCaprio have all day. And this girl is 10 years old and she's standing toe to toe with the big, arguably the biggest movie star in the world. And I think she, I, I mentioned her work in the Fablemans. I think she's someone we're going to be seeing a lot of, and she has the potential to have kind of a Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep like career. If, you know, and, and I don't think we see child actors kind of go down the path of child actors of the past with the information we have now. I think, Seems like, I I don't know her personally, but it seems like from listening to her in interviews, it seems like she's someone who really has her head on straight. And I thought she was great in this role. So my sixth woman or sixth girl uh, of the film, uh, Julia Butters as Trudy Frazier. Gail, how about you?
2: You know, I would have to be, I would have to bring it down between those two, too, and probably Timothy Oliphant. I just love him. Yeah. Um, But... mm. I think you're right. I think Julia Butters is the one. It, it, the conversation between her and Leo is so captivating. It's it's one of the best scenes of the movie, and it really helps him become better. And it defines who he currently is. And it it really serves to move the plot along. I think I think that I think that she did a great job.
0: So you're seconding me. I'm
2: gonna second you.
0: All right, that, that's rare so i know glad to have you on board (laughs) glad how about you uh
1: i will i'll go a different direction for the sake of a poll and because i love a good poll uh (laughs) and because i always get my ass kicked in anyway it doesn't matter um i'm i am gonna go with kurt russell i actually really just like his appearance i loving knowing that he grew up in this hollywood like this was the hollywood of his childhood and you know um It was clear to me that he was having fun when he was on screen being an asshole to Brad Pitt, who I'm sure, you know, that's probably been a longstanding fun relationship for them of just knowing each other as movie stars. Um, But I I just also think uh, I've I've known those coordinators who were like, I can't, I can't hire you. I can't use you. Oh, shit. I used you. Now I'm in trouble. (laughs) Thank God. was one of the funniest brief subplots in this movie to me. I just loved it.
2: I agree. He's also the narrator, right? Yes, like yes, when he's the narrator Yeah. Again, so yes. and in the and in the very beginning you get a little smidge of narration when Rick Dalton says that uh, his car's in the shop and you hear Kurt Russell's voice go, that's bullshit.
0: Yeah. Like, that's a big fucking lie.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I think that's a great pick. Oh wow! uh, yeah.
0: All right. So we we got a poll. MVP of the movie. Oh boy. i I guess this is a two-horse race maybe three if you want to throw margot robbie in the conversation that's but for me this was this was a two-horse race between dicaprio and pitt and i kind of just i was looking at the places they were at the time of this dicaprio's last movie before this was the revenant which he won best actor for he Mm -hmm. at this point could write his own ticket brad pitt was largely kind of just floundering at this point before he got into this movie He was in a Netflix movie called War Machine, which I I didn't see. It was kind of like just slipped under the radar. He was in another movie called Allied, opposite Marion Cotillard, which didn't do good business. A small part in Deadpool 2. So he wasn't really doing much for about four years. And then he just shows up in this and reminds you who the fuck he is. And he was, he killed this role, won, won the best supporting actor Oscar. And now he's just, he's back to doing it bullet train you know wasn't that great of a movie but oh yeah no it
1: was it was a great movie (laughs) and i'm tired of people shitting on it talk about environmental combat my friend (laughs) amazing so you all can just stop just stop
0: i was i was i was paying like a half compliment he was very good in it and it it was a fun movie I'll, i'll go i'll i'll leave it at that but you know he he's back to being a movie star babylon was one of my favorite movies of the year and i thought he was great in it so and i think this was what got him back on the A-list path. So for my MVP, I went Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth. Gale.
2: Yeah, without, I mean, without question, I think that Capri- DiCaprio did a, a great job as Rick Dalton, but I think that we could have found someone else to play Rick Dalton. Like, I don't think that there was anything super special in DiCaprio's performance, but I think that there was something very special in Brad Pitt's performance of Cliff Booth and I I could just like Glenn said I could watch him watch things all day long like he there was it's like Daniel Day-Lewis like there's why is Phantom Thread good it's it's not but Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis just watching him do things is fascinating and I feel the same way about Cliff Booth I mean not even Brad Pitt who (laughs) not even Brad Pitt but just I love Booth, I love watching Cliff Booth on screen, and yeah, I, I, it's Brad Pitt all day.
0: All right, Gal, yeah, that's twice we're on the same page. I,
2: I know we're gonna
0: have to we have to argue more next time. I know. <laughs> Glad. How about you? Uh,
1: I, I want a poll. Damn it, I want a poll. So here, this it might is. be tough. Yeah. Uh, give us Margot. I'm gonna give you Margot because, yeah. Okay. First Thank of all, said. yes, I, I, I love her, but again half their age and holding her own and truly providing, truly providing an inverse point of view to these two guys who've been in this job too long, who
0: Mm -hmm. frankly
1: are a little tired of it, who are just doing it for whatever paycheck there is or hoping to find their lost career. Here's a woman who's at the start of her career, who's in love with everything that's going on in her life. Who's literally dancing to the music that's in in her life and 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 you're just like you if you're not smiling a little bit when she's on screen check what's going on at home go to therapy talk it out because she is amazing (laughs) in what she's doing there yeah Um, and and I love I love Brad Pitt and I think if if we hadn't already had two yes votes or maybe he hadn't brought into it I probably would go that way but if I have to say the other one
0: for me really is Margot Robbie Okay. Can't argue with any of those. I'm gonna vote for that
2: in the poll anyway. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> There you go, Dave. I brought her back. Damn okay. it. All right. Yeah, there's the dissension. All right. <laughs> now we're back to normal. Uh Gail, what's something good you watched this
2: week? Ah, what's something good I watched this week? Oh I watched I watched one good thing and I watched one thing that I really wanted to be good, but I did not like. And I'll talk about that first. And that was Skinner Marink. That came out on Shudder. There's so much buzz about it. I've I've heard about the buzz for, for months now. Um, I'm huge into I'm huge into found footage movies. Um I give a lot of leeway to really bad horror. I watch a really a lot of really bad horror for horror festivals. I have slogged through some some deep shit in these horror festivals, but this movie. Oh, my God. It was like.
0: I'm yet to hear a good thing about this movie.
2: It was just fucking awful. Like, I, I, and I, I, I really appreciate what the director was trying to do. Watch his short Heck on YouTube. That is good. This isn't, this made me sleepy. I couldn't understand the children speaking um, when there was any sort of spoken word. But mostly it was just film angles that you would see in like highlights magazine that's like pick one corner of the house that's different from the other like it was just excruciating to sit through and I cannot recommend it um if you like your experimental atmospheric horror watch the innkeepers watch I am the pretty thing that lives in the house watch fucking Eraserhead. head watching Linda Empire go back to lynch but ugh, stay away from this
0: it mm, did have a fifteen but... fifteen thousand dollar budget, and it made two million dollars. So you can see why his studios so are happy, happy about I'm so happy for it.
2: him. Yeah. yeah, I'm so happy for him. Like, I-, I love that he went for something that any one of us could have fucking done. It it's so maddening. Um, he did great. He did great, and he seems like a very very sweet man. Like, um, he's he's a queer man up in Canada, so I give him props. I I think he's doing really well. Um. I follow him on Twitter. I want to support him, but this film was no good. Do you think um, he'll me. do
0: better if given a bigger budget for a newer project?
2: I think if he gets some real editors in there, um I think that he has I think that he has some very good ideas. I really want to see his ideas on screen. Okay. Um, this was just a little bit grainy, a little bit sleepy for me.
0: Sure, and that's most of the critique I've heard about this movie was similar. Yeah,
2: the good thing I watched was Tar. Yes. Um, finally, I watched Tar. And I mean, I knew I would love it. I knew that I would love Cate Blanchett because I love Cate Blanchett. Everyone does, except for somebody. There's an actor who's like an enemy of hers on Twitter. I forget who now. Um, Let's shoot, I wish I could remember, but um yeah. Google Kate Blanchett's enemy, you'll find him. But um, that that movie was great. Uh, I, I didn't know the story of her at all. I, I don't know many people who probably did, but um, I was a music major initially. Like I went to I went to kind of a competitive ish music school and uh, dropped out of it, but. Seeing movies like this or whiplash or anything where it's just very intense and very pretentious. Um, I really like them yeah. because yeah, like they're just so fascinating um, and people do talk like this. You think how can somebody be like this, but they are and it's awful and that's why I dropped out. Um, and then she just turns out to be this really complicated person that you don't know how you feel about by the end of the movie um Dave I know you love this movie this too, was right? my
0: number one of the year for 2022
2: yeah yeah how do you feel about her
0: I love this movie I watched it again last night I was like let me just throw that while I'm taking my notes I was like let me see something I can kind of like half focus on because I've already seen it and I'm like all right it's a great time I'll do my notes for this podcast and I'll throw a tar on and I found myself like stopping a lot like the Juilliard scene where she gets yeah. in a fight with that kid and she's like, the architect Good of your Lord. soul appears to be social media. I'm just like, who fucking comes up with that line? It's just, just top, top, another, just like this movie we're covering tonight, about about the same length, two hours, 45 minutes, and I wouldn't change a thing. It was just mm-hmm. exciting in a different way. I don't know that I'd recommend this movie to like a, a casual movie fan at all. But no, you know, Glenn, I definitely recommend it to you if you it's hadn't on, seen yeah, it already. It's,
1: just, it's, it's on my list, it's there.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I'd recommend it to you, but, like, I, I, somebody who doesn't watch a lot of movies, I wouldn't recommend it to, but it was, it was awesome, I was just, I, w- I was in the, I saw this in the theaters, and I'm just, like, on the edge of my seat, and I'm, I'm, like, okay, well, what, what's happening with her deposition, just, like, all this shit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's wild. Uh, Yeah, awesome movie, I love it, yeah, it was my number one of the year, so it was just, and after seeing it again last night, didn't change, still, still right there. Mm-hmm. Glenn, what's something good you watch this week?
1: Uh, let's see. So uh, recently I've been working my way through – I finally got Paramount Plus. So I've been watching uh, The Offer, which is okay. that kind of not not totally true but dramatized version of how The Godfather was made, which is funny because I literally just finished reading a book about that process. So I'm watching how they are making it more dramatic for the show, which is really funny to me to see them clearly fake things for the show. <laughs> um, but it's well done, uh, Miles Teller. You know, it's, it's – it's... <sighs> If you if you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're probably gonna like the show because it's about making movies. Yep. It's about you know it's about that process and how difficult it can be and, and how you know hard it is for the artists involved and the people involved. Um I liked that one. Uh, I've obviously like a lot of people, I've been watching The Last of Us on HBO. Yeah. Uh which is yep. oh God. Every week I am I'm, I'm just like, I love this. I love it. Um Ha, did it,
2: either of you play the video game? Oh
1: no. of course. At all? Of course. No. Okay, no, I didn't.
2: I didn't. Okay, so you're familiar with that. Did you play both?
1: Um, I played the first one. I've not played the second one. Um, okay,
2: okay. So is it following it closely?
1: Um, As far as I am, like, I'm not like a mega fan by any means, but as yeah. far as I remember, yes, even down to some of the shot compositions. But I've listened to the writer talk because HBO does these really great like post-episode recaps, which I love, and also just YouTube things. But he's been like, when we deviate, we're trying to deviate for the beauty of something. We're trying to show human connection, right? So that was the Frank episode, the one that everyone was raving about uh, or hated, depending on your point of view. Um, I loved it. Um, and I'm people like, people hated it. Ben well, Shapiro, oh, nothing, oh nothing, yeah, nothing sorry, yeah, the world. sorry, uh, sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But, but, I bought them a <laughs> I long I time ago. It makes me like this is not in the game, right? And well, no, it wasn't because they wanted to tell a story, you know, like, and I think Gail, you pointed it out really well, like. It's not actually necessarily as beautiful as people think it is if you sort of look oh, at Oh man, yeah, people aren't seeing it the right way. <laughs>
2: you
1: no, know, I do think there's beauty in it, but it it it's not necessarily the beauty that we think it is um
2: it's not the great love story right like it, well, it's, a I, it's do, a I think
1: it is and it's not i think i think it it's is. a love
2: story in a way but it's not the but it's Romeo it's not and like love story, oh they would have right? always
1: found each other right like i think that's the point they you absolutely made, would so. not have because um, he
2: was ben shapiro
1: right. and, or or or, uh, or at least very little you know he was as they called him apocalypse ron swanson right like yeah you mm-hmm. know so i i just think the show is really well done it reminds me of early walking dead without the um, Andrew Lincoln moaning all the time uh. of Walking Dead <laughs> um, you know um, I, I'm very fascinated to see where they go with it um, and so I love that and then of course a movie I watched that I loved that I came to love because my partner loved it and I wasn't in love with it when I first started was Amsterdam so that was my other Margot Robbie of the weekend was watching Amsterdam um, it is really not for everybody it is kind no. of a anti-establishment you have to you have to be okay with the weirdness of it, and not everybody. In fact, a lot of people weren't, but I thought it was very well done. So
0: uh, that's where I was. I do know it has its defenders. I'm not one of them.
1: I'm, I'm... well aware of this. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I, you know, if if you like the no, no, like... no, I get it.
1: I do. I think. I think. Um, so I I I work with a lot of people who have like ADHD um and a a lot of folks I've talked to specifically and I the reason I'm saying that is because you know there is a quirkiness and a weirdness to it that I think resonates with someone who doesn't always think about things head-on who kind of curves through the path of getting to things um and that is not something that everyone would take away from that
0: movie so you know
1: not for everybody I'm not going to pretend like I'm trying to like make a case for it here I'm just saying I think it was. Good. Now you liked it and that's that's yeah. awesome.
0: That's that's what's great about movies. Uh there was a lot of divisiveness about her other movie Babylon, which there yes. are people who hate this movie. I haven't I'm, even
2: seen it because ugh, I just hated La La Land so
0: much. I that... wasn't a fan. I wasn't a big fan of that, but I love this movie. It was my number 4 of the year. And it was just from another one, at 3 hours and 8 minutes, it flew by. I was,
2: What's your number two and three? Now that we've gotten one and four, I just have to know.
0: It was Fablemans, and then what was number three? Um, was it
2: everything, everywhere? No. Was it Marcel shell
0: No. Uh, what was number uh, three? Oh, Banshees. Well, I mean, Banshees. again, we're talking that about was my number lot one. Lot of zombies, yeah. though, back to back to back. Like,
2: yeah,
1: you know, I mean, Banshees of Anderson was. I didn't watch it this week, that's why I didn't bring it up, but. Oh god! Oh my
2: god, so fucking good. No, yeah. That is it's a that good. is
1: a I love cinema and I want to watch cinema movie because uh, that is not like yeah, a, you know.
2: You know, was... I recommended it to my mother because she said she liked Irish movies. I'm like, it's really funny. Ten minutes in, she's like, this isn't funny at all.
0: And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> gonna do like a full McDonough rewatch. I've seen the only movie I've seen more than once was uh Seven Psychopaths, and I thought that was his worst his weakest film. Mm. He, but, he
1: is an he is a fascinating guy, and I love that he loves Ireland so much.
0: You know, you're getting either yes. Sam Rockwell or Colin Farrell as the lead, yep. and yeah, and you know, you could do worse. All right, so I'll go. I'll go. TV movie. I started Poker Face. On this is on Peacock. This is the new show from Ryan Johnson. What what a world we're living in. Ryan Johnson is the creator of a TV show on Peacock, but here we are, starring Natasha Leone as she's not a cop. But she's someone who, for some reason, for reasons unexplained, can tell if you're lying. Just an automatic lie detector. She calls bullshit if you say it, and it's been helpful for her in solving all these murders. There is. This has been compared to Columbo, which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Yeah, I was ten years old watching Columbo. <laughs> That's okay. I it. was
1: ten years old watching Matlock. I'm with you, dude. <laughs> I, I'm under. I,
0: I guess we all we all had our our detective, and there is a central story that's tying throughout the episodes, but each episode is kind of like, aside from that, is an individual story of her, like running into a murder and having to like, pick up the pieces and get people to ask, know the right questions to ask these people so they can give an answer. And she could tell if they're lying or not. And she's, she assists in all these crimes, just, you know, Natasha Leone, if you liked uh, Russian doll or, you know, we liked her, probably her career. This has a lot of big, big names guest starring in it: Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Adrian Brody, Chloe, Chloe Sevigny. Just, I could go on and on. Just, you got it's a Ryan Johnson shows. So you're getting a lot of big names just to show up for an episode. And this is Hung Shao was in an episode. This is just really good. I've watched the first two so far, and I, I recommend it if you're if you're looking for a new show to hop on. I know Peacock isn't the most popular streaming service. I don't know too many people who have it by default. I know a lot of people have it because it came with their cable provider. But uh, I definitely recommend the show. It, either, either you know this or was it on your radar?
1: Definitely on the radar. Uh, and I just yeah. want to compliment Natasha Leone's comeback as a career. Yeah. Like from someone oh, who was doing yeah. you know American Pie, who is now doing Russian Doll and Poker Face and these right. really complex, really beautiful kind of <laughs> intense pieces. Uh, it's
2: just... Yeah, and she was great in Orange is the new black. Like she yep. plays very complex characters. Um and, and she was always like even in the teen movies that she did back in the 90s, she was the most interesting person on screen because she sounded like an 85-year-old Julie <laughs> aunt. And like you just <laughs> love her. You've always loved her. When she was 15, she sounded like that. I just <laughs> she's so fun to watch.
0: Uh, yeah, so I recommend that show. And for movies, last week I got to the theater and I saw Knock at the Cabin. This is oh, this is a new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, I love him!
2: I yeah. love him.
0: Yeah, I, so, <laughs> then I think you would love, love this him. movie because I thought it was. I, I'm pro, I'm in the pro column with this one. I know some people yes. who like some of the movies we just talked about in the last couple minutes. Some people hate this movie, but I'm not one of those people. I thought this, I really haven't had maybe since like. I'm trying to think of the after earth. I think that was the last bad one he made, but I, I liked split. I liked glass. I liked, uh, old, you know, I thought old was I kind of clunky, old. but I, I enjoyed I it. Old was great. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I love what he goes for. I love that he just digs it and goes for it. And he's, he's so silly. My husband swears that he's not self-aware, but I really think that he is. He has to be because if he's not, it's very upsetting, but he's, <laughs> So funny! He, the visit is really funny. He's a funny director, and uh, bless his heart. I'm so happy to hear that this was that this was good.
0: But yeah, this is four people. They they break into the cabin of this uh, this couple and their adopted daughter, and they say you need to sacrifice one of yourself to prevent the apocalypse. So you know, normal shit. And Dave Bautista, who just you know, I was watching this guy dressed up as a priest. In a wrestling ring in 2003, and he, <laughs> as, Deacon, as Deacon Batista, that was his, his early wrestling gimmick. And was I, it? Yeah, I never would wow. have thought 20 years later, I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. And you look at this guy in interviews, like, he knows his shit. Like, he knows, he's very well versed in in cinema. He knows his stuff, and he's oh. really great in this. And I, I, he's, you know, he's great in Dune. He'll he's, you know, he was a night, uh, night rider no night rider what am i saying the denny Villeneuve.
1: oh uh, uh
0: yeah Nightcrawler? crawler no no uh the the harrison ford one why am i drawing a blank night... you did it this is podcasting that's fine to speak no i'm just gonna i'm just gonna I'm, gonna I'm gonna i'm gonna talk through it and we're gonna we're gonna get the right answer on this i'm just gonna talk about stuff and we're gonna get there um da, da, da,
2: da, da, da. all right oh blade runner
0: Blade Runner, yeah, thank no. you, Gail. Yeah, okay. Blade Runner. You beat my MDB search. All right, yeah, that, that was that was the finest podcast thing ever. But yeah, Blade <laughs> Runner. He's, so he's kind of seeking out all these like big-name directors to work with. Obviously, most people probably know him as Drax in the, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which is really funny. His comedic timing is great. And in this, he's not funny at all. He's just the heartbeat of this movie. He just puts on a great performance, and this movie does not work without him. I I love him as an actor and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where he goes. But if you're an M night fan Gail, as you clearly are, this, this is one I think, I think you'll dig. So excited. Yeah. So that's, uh, so that's, that's where I'm at. Gail, where can we follow you?
2: Uh, You can follow me on Instagram at it is that one broad. You can also follow me on Twitter at descent of a woman.
1: Excellent. Glenn. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Glen Thompson 11 because hello, it, there's so many of my name apparently. Uh, and then also uh, Facebook at Glenn Thompson Creator, or check out my website uh, glen-thompson.com.
0: Excellent. And I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd, same handle at ddem 2000. You can follow the Instagram and Twitter for this show at Was It That Bad Pod. If you want to talk about this movie or any movie or show we talked about or anything else we didn't talk about, join the Movie and Television Talk Facebook group just by typing that into a group search. We are the Red Cover Photo. No show next week. We have a scheduled week off. We are going to be back with a couple episodes. Uh, two weeks, we'll be back with Ocean's Eleven. And then the following week after that, we're doing Ghost. So a couple of fun ones there. Hello. Either of you have any thoughts on either of those films?
1: Uh, Ocean's Eleven. I'm assuming the Brad Pitt, because you said it earlier. Yes. I did,
0: yeah. Okay. Not the Frank Sinatra. because okay. yeah, was-
1: There's a real difference in which movie we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, I was not as huge a fan of the sequels. I enjoy them. But, yeah, Legends 11 is a great heist movie. And it uh. has been
0: um, I yeah. think Margot Robbie's even doing. A- I was just gonna. I was gonna say, yeah, Margot Robbie's in yep. a, a reboot.
1: Sure, Which I, hopefully goes better than we it? Uh, We'll see what happens. Who cares? Uh,
2: you know there. what? Every heist movie is exactly the same, but I'm gonna watch it anyway. Sure, sure. I love a heist. I love a heist, especially a casino heist. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. yeah.
1: And Ghost. from them. The ultimate parody movie. I have yet to see a cartoon, adult cartoon that has not had a ghost parody in it. So yeah. I look forward to hearing about that one.
0: All right, yeah, so we got we got some good things on the horizon, and we had some great things on the horizon or the horizon whatever the opposite of that is tonight. Uh, Gail, Glenn, thanks for joining me tonight. This this ruled. This was fun, man. Yeah, Looking forward to. It. All right, and thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you all next time. Have a good night, everybody.